Welcome to the weekend message from Mariner's Church in Huntington Beach, California. Whether you are listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. And this is exciting. And uh, I know that you don't know me, so let me just tell you a little bit about myself. Um, While we are back and new right now at Mariner's, my wife and I and one of our four children uh, is here with us. Our other ones are older and chose to stay in South Carolina, but um, I actually was raised around here, and in fact, I went to Laguna Beach High School, and uh, so, uh, you know, in in some ways, I'm one of you. I understand this culture and and where we've been, and I was, uh, for those of you that know about Laguna Beach, you know, at least back in the day when I was there, that our mascot was an artist, so I was raised as a fighting artist. In Laguna Beach. And uh, so I've earned my stripes. You know, I deserve to be around here. I had to fight through four years of that humiliation. And then I graduated and went to college, hoping that I'd get a better mascot, sort of a better, and I went to UCI and became a fighting anteater. And so uh, I don't know if our church will ever have a mascot, but if it does, we're going big. We're going, we're going to be cool, not lame, okay? So... I just want you to know that. But anyway, you know, I drive around Laguna and I realize I could never afford to be back here. That's a little sad. And then I run around. uh, We live in Woodbridge, so sometimes I go on runs and run around Irvine. And as I look at the people there, I realize I could never be smart enough to go here again. So, you know, my past is kind of my past. But 14 years ago, after a stay in Seattle for five years, Julie and I and our family moved to South Carolina to uh, start or, or sort of join a church that had kind of started and kind of stopped and was kind of struggling. And uh, this, is, uh, this, this moment for me is really reminiscent of that time because we started with about this many people. When I, when I came in, we had about this many people. And in the years to follow, the church grew bigger and bigger and we had a lot more people. But I just want to tell you, and maybe you already know this, but there is something really precious about these times that we'll be together when we are small enough pretty much to know everybody and when you know we're all really you you really have this sense that we are a family together and as the church grows and as things happen some of those things will change a little bit and there'll be very cool things that happen and some people will sort of look back to the days of do you remember when we knew everyone here And so I guess what I want to encourage you with is, because we don't want to stay this size, because there's so many people in Huntington Beach and Fountain Valley that that need to be part of what we're doing, that right now they're sitting at home and they're not thinking about God and they're not thinking about church and, you know, they're not thinking about things that are so important and we're going to have an opportunity to bring those people in and make them part of our family. Uh, But let's not run past these days too quickly because these are really precious, special days as well. And I'm so, so excited, and Julie's excited, and Nikki, our daughter that's here, we're so excited to be with you and part of this. And so here we go. Uh, Let me just ask this question. How many, just so that I know, how many of you attended Beachside? So you are Beachside people? Okay, that's that's sort of, yeah. So most of you are, and maybe some of you are here, and you're like, no, this is my first time in. And if that's the case, just know that I'm with you my first time in, so we're sort of together, and... And Lo and Christine are, are sort of with the folks that have been around for a while. So we're, we're all joining together. And um, 
One of the things that we want to do is make sure that you understand that we're going to stay connected to the Irvine campus, and one of the ways we're going to do it is through our teaching. And even though we're not doing the video teaching anymore, we decided that that wasn't the best way to grow a church and to really communicate everything that God wants us to be. Uh, we will be in sync in the teaching series. So, for instance, how many of you were here last week and you heard the beginning of this series, Why Jesus Hates Religion? Okay, a few of you. And, uh, but we'll be staying right in sync with that. And Kenton, Mike, and I uh, get together every week. Uh, for a while, and we talk about our messages, and they aren't identical at all. Obviously, we're going to talk out of our lives, but they're going to be similar, and we want to make sure that our whole church, all of Mariners, whether it's Mission Viejo or Huntington Beach or Irvine, that we're all kind of moving forward together, that we're hearing God's word together. So it's an experiment in a way. We don't know other churches that are really doing this this way, uh, but we're very excited about it, and I just want to encourage you you know, if, if, uh, if you hear a message in here and you think, you know, I'd like to hear that more or hear it from a different slant, uh, Kenton and Mike's messages or any of our other teachers that are teaching, they'll be online, and I'll encourage you to listen to those. I did this week. I listened to both Mike's. I saw Kenton's live, and uh, it's, it's awesome. It really is kind of an awesome thing to get to hear a message from a lot of different perspectives. So that's kind of what we're up to. And because of that, what I want to do is I want to get you up to speed. If you weren't here last week, just so that we're all kind of on the same page, let me review what we started at. We're in the series, of course, Why Jesus Hates Religion, and that's kind of an intriguing title. And I just want to begin by saying, because this was pointed out last week, it's a little bit misleading just to say that all religion is bad. Uh, and, and if we listen last week, we realize it isn't really all of it's bad. It just can lead to some really bad things. Religion is actually complicated enough that there's some things that are good in it and some things that are bad. And um, if we don't realize that, then we get into trouble because, of course, Jesus, when he came, he talked a lot about the bad things about religion, right? I mean, he kind of railed on the religious leaders and said, you guys are leading them astray. You're not going in the right direction. You're missing the point. He was pretty harsh and pretty hard on those people that were religious types. And so we can go from that and go, well, you know, obviously Jesus had some problems with the religion of the day. And that's true. The problem with just saying, so all religion is bad, is that we look into the Old Testament and there was all kinds of religious things that God had set up to try and bring people to himself. So they had the temple and they had priests and they had rituals, and they had rules and laws and regulations and things that should be done this way and things that shouldn't be done that way. And there was a lot of religion. And if you just say all of religion is bad, then you're sort of like, well, so what was God up to in the Old Testament? What was going on there? And here's the reality. The reality, and I thought Kenton gave such a great illustration last week, is that religion in the Old Testament was meant to be like the preview or the trailer to a movie. In other words, it was to point people in the direction of something that was coming, something that would be so much better. But for right now, this is what it is. This is preparing you for it. And then when Jesus came, it was like the full-length release of the movie. And the idea is at that point, you don't need the trailers. You don't need these things that sort of point in that direction. And so there's nothing wrong with trailers. There's nothing wrong with things that are going to point you in the right direction unless... The real thing has come, and now you're sort of saying, well, you know, I'm not going to go to the movie. I really like the trailers. 
I mean, nobody would do that. No, I'm just into the trailers. And you go, well, you're missing the whole story. No, no, no. But, you know, it's kind of shorter. And, I, it, no, it's more action-packed. I kind of like the trailers. And Jesus comes along basically and he goes, oh, my gosh, are you missing the point? And that's one of the reasons that he really kind of bows up why he pushes so hard, why he's so critical. He's like, the real thing is here. Why would you focus on the trailer still? Why would that be the thing that you're into? And so what we're doing in this series is we're looking at some of the things that religion does that actually blocks us from getting to the real thing, to really getting to Jesus. We're going to look at some of the traps we fall into because here's the reality. There's something inside of all of us that kind of likes religion. And we're going to talk about a portion of that today. Some of us Uh, or all of us, like certain parts, there's certain parts of the trailer that we're like, I just love that scene. I could just watch that scene over and over again. And the reality is we need to be pushed away from that and opened up to the whole story, to everything that God wants us to know. So that's kind of where we are. And today we're talking about, I think, the uh, single most thing that Jesus was the most critical about when it came to religion. We're going to dive in with the thing he said. This is the biggest problem of all of it. Uh, and here's, here's the reason, just so that we're real clear. One of the reasons is because it's the part of religion we are all the most prone to doing. And on top of that, We don't even know it. We can do it and not even know it. And then finally, the reason this is so important is Jesus says, this is such a huge mistake that there are people that miss God altogether because they're doing this part of religion. In other words, so just so that we put it together, we're all prone to it. We don't know we're doing it. And the consequence of doing it is we might miss Jesus altogether. And so you can see why Jesus says, I am going to hammer this one. This one we're going to make sure we get right. And if you look at Jesus' teachings, he is just ruthless when it comes to this thing that we're going to talk about today. All right, so that's what we're going to do. And to do it, we're going to look at a story that Jesus told in the book of Luke. And if you have your Bibles, pull them out. Um, You're going to notice that I don't bring a Bible up here. And let me just tell you why I don't. Because I can't read it. Okay? And if you're, you know, if you're a little older, you're going to be like, okay, I get it. I could put on my glasses and read it, but then I couldn't see you. So, you know, it's sort of the thing. So just so you know, I have the scripture up here. Okay? I'm not like, you know, against the Bible. But the Bible is a great thing for you to bring. And let me just ask, are the lights up high enough where you can see it? Or do we need the lights a little higher? A little higher. Could you guys just turn up the lights just a tad so that people can see it? And then you can mark in your Bibles and all that kind of stuff. We're going to be in Luke chapter 18. And uh, we're going to, it's a story that Jesus tells. And he just, uh, this is so central to his message that it actually bleeds out into a lot of what he says. But this is a great story to get us into it. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. 
Uh, let's go ahead, and we're going to just sort of read it verse by verse, and then we'll explain it, and then we'll start talking about why is this such an important thing, okay? So we start off in verse 9, Luke 18, verse 9. Jesus is actually near the end of his ministry. He is walking back to Jerusalem for the big showdown that's going to result in his death. And so now he is starting to really clarify to everyone that follows, here are the things that are the very most important. And one of the ways he does it is by telling stories called parables. This is a parable. All right, so let's read it together. We'll read the first line here. It says, then Jesus told, we're going to all read this together. Okay, all right, are we all excited about that? Okay, good, all right. And you can read it on the screen, that's fine. Okay, ready? <clears throat> then Jesus told this story to some who had great self-confidence and scorned everyone else. Okay, so there's a setting and there's people around Jesus and he tells the story specifically to a certain group of people. And here's the problem that they had, obviously, from what it says. They had a lot of confidence in their own ability to be righteous, to be good. In other words, as they looked around and they saw everyone else and what everyone was doing, and these were kind of religious types, they looked around and they said, man, if this is being graded on the bell curve, I'm in great shape. I'm up in the A category. I'm not even in the C category. I'm certainly not in the D or the F category. I'm in great shape. And one of the things that Jesus also notes is he says, and being up in that A category wasn't just enough for them. They looked at the people that were below them in the C category and the D's and the F's, and they had scorn. You know, they sort of had contempt. It's like, wow, am I better than them? So this is who Jesus is going to talk to. And you already get a feeling of what Jesus is going to say. This is such a huge problem when we do this. This is such a huge problem. So anyway, that's who the story is going to. And um, he begins by uh, saying these words. So let's read this together. This is the first part of the story. And it says, read it with me. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a dishonest tax collector. Now, you look at this, and here's part of the problem we deal with in today's day and age, especially if you've been around the Bible for a while and you've been around church. You already know who the winner and the loser is, just when we say these two words, right? Who is the real loser? It is the Pharisee. And who's the winner? The tax collector. Okay, here's the problem. In Jesus' day and age, if he started that story... Who would have everybody thought was the winner? The Pharisee. And the loser was. So if we're going to get this, if we're going to understand this, we've got to put ourselves back in that mentality of understanding that Jesus is setting this story up. Let me help you try to set this story up. It would be like saying, okay, there was two people that went to church one day. One person had been raised, was uh, born into a Christian family. He had been raised by Christian, loving Christian parents, uh, went to youth group, accepted Jesus when he was young, uh, went on, uh, went through college Bible school, went to seminary, uh, studied scripture, uh, you know, either became a pastor in the church or became an elder in the church. Everybody looked at this guy and said, wow, this guy's got it together. This guy is really an amazing person. This person's well-respected. Everybody in church knows who this is. He's a really, really good person. So that would be one person. And then you would say, okay, and the other person is this person that is just like a scum bucket. 
I mean, this guy is so low. This guy's like the guy that, you know, he, he's, he's a creeper, man. He hangs on. You're just, you get shivers just being around this guy because, I mean, he's just, he, he thinks dirty thoughts, and he's always ripping on people, and he's so immoral. I mean, he's just sleeping around and doing this and doing that, and he's addicted to drugs, and, and he's, he's been in and out of jail, and he's just... He's a terrible guy. And these two guys both went to church. Okay, now you're starting to get the feeling that Jesus' audience would have had when this story opens. Okay, there's the guy in the white hat, and there's the guy in the black hat. Okay, I can understand that. You know, that's kind of how things work. All right, so the Pharisee was somebody that was considered by everybody uh, maybe a little self-righteous, you know, maybe a little proud, but in general, a good, good person that you look up to. And this other guy, tax collector, works for a foreign oppressive government, uh, collects taxes from the poorest of the poor. Um, on top of that, he cheats people. He cheats the poorest of the poor. I mean, this guy's really, really bad. Okay, so these two guys go up to the temple. And so you need to make sure you don't sort of already jump to the punchline because you say, oh, well, I know where this is going to go because you're going to miss the point of the story. All right, so this happens, and immediately Jesus is going to start putting a different slant. As he tells the story, all of a sudden this guy in the white hat, though a white hat doesn't look so white anymore. And so he says it this way. Let's read this together. Uh, read it with me. The proud Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else, especially like that tax collector over there. For I never cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery, I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. All right, so let me just point out a few things that happen. Um, can we go back to the previous slide for a second, just because I want to point out something there. All right, so the proud Pharisee stands up. And in fact, the literal translation is he, he stood up and he stood out. In other words, he kind of stood up and then he separated himself from everyone else. And here's the reason he's doing that is because he's better than everyone else. And so it's sort of like, okay, we're all sort of here. Well, I need to sort of separate myself because I'm kind of better than all the people on the bell curve that are below me. And so he stands up and he stands out. Uh, the next thing he does, as you can see, is he immediately starts to compare himself with, okay, let me look around. Well, everybody's lower than me. And then he spies this tax collector over on the side and he goes, wow, that is such an easy mark. If I'm going to make people understand how good I truly am, let me just compare myself with that guy. And so he starts to sort of rifle through his list. And he says, you know, go to the next slide. He says, okay, I'm not like that tax collector over there. I never cheat because tax collectors cheated. I don't sin. They clearly sin. This is funny. He goes, I don't commit adultery. I, I think he's just like heaping on. How does he know if this guy commits adultery? But he's just like, I'm just going to throw that in just because I want to. And so he's sort of like, you know, I'm nothing like this guy. I'm not immoral. I'm not the lowest of the low. I come in with credentials when I come into the temple. And of course, coming to the temple is like coming to God. That's sort of what, the, what that was. Then he starts to say, and, and let's talk a little bit about my credentials. What have I done? And so the first thing is he says, he says, I fast twice a week. Let me ask you this question. It's just, you, you're just guessing. There's no way that you'd probably know. In the Old Testament, how many times 
uh, well, let's say in a year, were people required to fast? If you're going to be a good Jew living in the Old Testament, he does it twice a week. How many, how many times do you think a year we were required to do that? I know you're not going to guess because you're like, I know I'll be wrong. It's once. Once. On the Day of Atonement, a good Jew would fast. He says, that's for the remedial. I fast twice a week. And a lot of scholars believe that they would fast on Mondays and Thursdays. You know why? Because that's when everybody came into the temple for market day. They just happened to be fasting every time everyone else showed up. Okay, so they fast twice a day. And then he says, and I tithe on everything. And in the Old Testament law, it's very clear that you didn't have to tithe on everything that there was portions you tithed on and portions you didn't need to. But this Pharisee is saying, but that's for the remedial. I mean, I, I'm a star. I'm an all-star religious guy. I tithe on everything. And so you can see that as he stands up, he stands up with tons of self-confidence. Now here's the super important thing to get, because this is what Jesus is going to stick the knife in and he's going to start twisting. He's going to say, this guy was totally focused on externally what he was doing. On the outside, there was nobody that looked better than this guy. I mean, he exceeded the law. And if you were to compare him to anyone else, and especially a tax collector, he just wins hands down. But here's the point Jesus is going to make. Is he looking at the right thing? Is it the external that is truly the most important thing that is going on here? Because you already start to get, as Jesus is telling the story, is on the inside, he does not look so great. I mean, he is judgmental. He, he has spite. He's petty. He's small. He's very proud. He's the kind of person, if you're around him, you'd say, oh, he's just a little overbearing. He's a little too into himself. And so Jesus is starting to make this dichotomy between being really good on the outside, but not having much on the inside. And, he, and Jesus is now going to start moving into that. And in fact, Jesus, in other parts of what he teaches, oh my gosh, he goes after this. He says, this is a huge problem. Um, in Matthew 23, uh, when he's talking about the Pharisees, and he's talking about this way of thinking about things, uh, I'll just read it for you. It says this, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And Jesus, if you look at Matthew 23 anytime, and if you have your Bibles, maybe you're glancing through, he rails on this attitude. He says, boy, anyone that's going to say, if I can just get the outside looking good and not care about the inside, you're like a whitewashed tomb. And just to give you a little bit of history on that, uh, tombs back in that day, or graves, uh, if you were a Jew observant of the Jewish religion and you wanted to do things, if you ever came in contact with a grave, if you accidentally stepped on one or you know, pitched your, you know, your tent on one and slept on one or whatever, you'd be impure for seven days. And the problem is that people would be walking to Jerusalem for religi religious festivals, and if these graves were not marked really well, people might accidentally walk over one. And so that would really make the trip to Jerusalem a bummer because you couldn't go into the temple. 
And it's like, oh, you just stepped on that thing. Okay, well, when we all go in to do our whole thing for the week, you get to stay outside. So anyway, what they'd do is they'd whitewash the, the tombs, the, you know, sort of the headstones, so that everybody would see it. Nobody would step on it. Nobody would accidentally come in contact with it. But Jesus looks at that, and, and Jesus was full of satire at times. And he would say, you know, that's exactly what these people that focus on the external are like. They've whitewashed the outside. They look beautiful. It's awesome. And on the inside, they are dead, rotting carcasses. And Jesus says, man, that just cannot stand. That is not the way God has set up engagement with him. So he's very clear that this guy's in big trouble, that this is not the way that it should be. And here's, I just want to be real clear, here's the real problem. The problem is not just that the guy's messed up on the inside, because all of us are messed up on the inside. That's not his problem. His problem is that he thinks that it's only about the outside, and so he's not interested in fixing the inside. He doesn't think God cares about the inside. And that's the real problem that Jesus is going to hammer in on. Here's, here's, and so here's what happens. And just go back. I want to go back to the verse again of what the Pharisee says. We're going to do this because this is sort of an interesting thing. How many times, we're just going to sort of get clear on this, who is the Pharisee really talking to in this prayer? And I just want you to do this. We're going to count how many times he uses the pronoun I in his prayer here, okay? So we have it on two screens. So let's just count this up. How many times does he use the pronoun I? And then look, he does address God. How many times does he use the word God, okay? So go ahead and look through that. We'll look through these things. You should be able to count pretty quickly. Go to the next slide. All right, who has? How many times I? Seven times. How many times God? Once. This is not a prayer to God. This is a prayer to himself. This is a statement of how great he is and how lucky God is to have him. This is not really him engaging with God at all. In fact, this is him pushing God away because he's so good. I don't really need you, but you sort of need me. And so this is a good thing that I'm here. I'm, it's a good thing that I'm here in the temple to, to support your cause in this world, to, to do the things that you need me to do because I come in and I've got credentials and I'm pretty, I'm pretty amazing, really. And so he's actually, this is, he's so not concerned with the internal. He's not going to let God touch anything on the inside. He's going to say, my outside's good enough. You stay there, God. I will stay here. And this to Jesus is the biggest problem with religion is that we think it's all about the outside, how we look on the outside. He stays external. And here's an interesting thing, just if you think about it. The more we push God away, the better we tend to look. Really, if you look, think back in your life. In the times where you're sort of, if, especially if you're going to church and you're kind of you know, doing the religion thing, when you push God away, it's easy to think, I'm a pretty good person. You sort of push God away. And that's the problem that this Pharisee has. Okay, so let's go to the tax collector then. Let's go look at this guy. The tax collector, it says, let's read this. It says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. 
And so here you have obviously a person with a totally different attitude coming in. And I just want to talk about this guy for a second. Okay, so it says that he stood at a distance. In other words, the, the courtyard to the temple was huge back then. He comes in and he barely gets inside the courtyard and just hangs, probably with his back against the wall, just like, oh my gosh, I can't go any further. And, and if you think about it, there's really good reasons. I mean, people in Jerusalem knew this guy. He was a tax collector. They would have looked at him if he showed up and said, what is he doing here? I mean, if he should be scared to death to walk in here. He's the biggest cheat. He cheated me. What is he doing here? And he knows that. He comes in, so he stands. He's like, I hope nobody sees me. This is going to be so uncomfortable. Furthermore, he's not a religious guy. He doesn't know how to go do sacrifices and all this. Maybe you've walked into church at some point and you didn't know how church was done and you just feel so uncomfortable. You don't know what everybody's doing. And, you know, the guy's up there and he's saying, read this with me, you know, and you start and then he stops you and says, read it louder. And you're like, I don't get this. You know, what's this guy up to? All right. So maybe you can relate to that. That's how this guy feels. He's so uncomfortable there. Uh, And then finally, he may really think, you know, if I go too close, God's probably just going to hit me with lightning. I mean, I'm such a bad guy. I feel so uncomfortable. I I don't even know if God's going to accept me into his presence here in the temple. And so he's really hanging back. You know, the Pharisee separated himself because he was better than everyone else. The tax collector separates himself because he feels like he's worse than everyone else. All right, so uh, he comes in. It says that his eyes are downcast. He is so ashamed of his life. He beats his chest. It was just a sign of being truly, truly ashamed, truly repentant. I've really, really messed up. And the impression we get is this guy is totally desperate. In fact, it's interesting because he says, you know, forgive me, a sinner. There's actually an article, for those of you that are grammar people, there's an article, a a definite article. He doesn't call himself a sinner. He calls himself the sinner. He says, I'm not just like everyone else. I'm like worse than everyone else. I am the sinner. And something that Kenton pointed out last night when I listened to the message, he said, you know, it's interesting. We all know, actually how bad we are. Nobody else knows how bad we are. Nobody else knows the thoughts we think or the attitudes or the motivations or some of the actions that we've done. Nobody knows really how bad we are except for us. And this guy is coming face to face with the fact of, I'm, I'm really bad. I've really messed up. I have just shipwrecked my life. And so he comes before God and instead of having an attitude of pride, he has an attitude of total humiliation. I'm scared to even be in here. Uh, What he's done, too, up to this point, is he's been externally focused, too. And this is kind of an important thing again. The Pharisee was externally focused, and he won at that game, so he liked staying there. The tax collector was externally focused, and he was losing at it, and that made him open his eyes to saying, maybe there's a different way to relate to God. But I'm just going to ask this question. How long do you think it took the tax collector to actually come into the temple? I mean, how many nights had he just sort of laid awake saying, I know I need to go, but I've got to clean myself up first. I I can't go like this. I know I need to go, but what if people see me? I know I need to go, but what if God zaps me? I mean, how long had it taken him to finally decide I'm desperate enough I'm going to slip in. 
because he had been externally focused. And so here's, here's kind of the big point. The difference between the two men wasn't that one was proud and one was humiliated. The difference is one stayed external and the other one finally became internal. And you see in the prayer that he totally strips himself, the tax collector, and says, God, do what you will do, but your mercy is all I have. You look at my heart, you look at everything I am, I'm going to relate to you on the inside. And if that means that I'm done for, it kind of doesn't matter because I'm done for anyway. It's my only hope. I'm totally desperate. And he makes this switch. And you see, for Jesus, he says, and that was the key. The key isn't that one is obnoxiously proud and the other one is sort of, you know, the sniveling guy over here in the corner. The difference is one stays external and the other one becomes internal. And so here is the shocking conclusion that Jesus gives in verse 14. He says these words. Let's read it. It says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For the proud will be humbled, but the humble will be honored. And you know, really, for people to listen, they would have said, oh, that, is, that is shocking. That is shocking. Are you telling me that the Pharisee does not have right standing with God? And that this tax collector could? And Jesus is saying, that's exactly what I'm saying. And here's the thing. You've been looking through religious eyes, and through religious eyes, the Pharisee always wins, the tax collector always loses. But that's not the way it is when you really engage with God. That is not the way it is. The truth of the matter is, it's those people that are willing to connect with God internally that win. And every time you do, you become humble. There's no way to connect with God internally and to stay proud. As soon as you come into contact with the awesome God of the universe, the one who's totally pure and righteous, of course you're going to see your blemishes. Of course you're going to realize, I don't bring anything to this party. God brings it all. I'm just lucky that he'd have me. And so there's sort of this paradigm shift. And here's the reason that it impacts us, I think. Here's the reason that this is important for us. Because it is still the case, if you ask people, most people that live in America, and even most people that go to church, if you were to tell, ask them, what gets somebody to heaven? The answer is being a good person. Externally looking the right way. Doing the right things. Having the right behaviors. Good people go to heaven. And bad people go to hell, right? Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. And here's what Jesus says. Humble people go to heaven. Proud people go to hell. It's a total shift. It is not externally what you can pull off. It's the people that internally will relate with God and humble themselves and God says, those are the ones that are justified. So he basically says this. That day, two guys went home. And the tax collector went home and he was justified. As far as the east is from the west, his sins have been removed. Into the depths of the sea, his sins have been thrown. They've been blotted out, made white as snow. All Old Testament quotes. That's what happens to this tax collector. Because he opened himself up internally, he humbled himself, and Jesus said, that's all I was looking for. 
I can take care of that. And the righteous guy goes home and he's in huge trouble. And he doesn't even know it. He doesn't even know that his eternity is in peril. That if he's going to go to God and say, listen, God, let me bargain with you. I know I'm not perfect, but I've got a lot of good stuff over here. So I'm going to sort of bargain with you. And, you know, um, these good things will outweigh these bad things and so forth. And Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking for. You're asking for the God of the universe, the holy God of Israel, to judge you based on your merit. And you think you're going to stand. You think that's going to be good. You think you're going to come out on top. (laughs) You are so deceiving yourself. Oh my gosh, you're in so much trouble and you don't even know it. And here's why it's relevant is because, you know, in Christianity in America, there are so many people that are banking on their goodness to get them in. They really are. They think, you know, I'm a good person. I'm better than most. And doesn't God take good people to heaven? Don't bad people go to hell? Isn't that the way this works? And Jesus is saying, religion tells you that, but that's not the message. That's not how it works at all. When I was, um, last year, Julie and I got to go down to Mexico to vacation. And uh, we went scuba diving. And it's a really interesting thing. In Mexico, uh, whereas here you have to get certified and go to classes, in Mexico, they'll let you scuba dive after a 15-minute little tutorial in the boat. It's so cool. And... uh, and I think that they don't really care if a gringo dies. You know, just give me your money and, you know, if you come up, that's great. And if not, well, oh well. So anyway, but so I did that. And so the guy, you know, the guy's sort of giving me instruction about this. And I don't know what's going on. And, and so he, here's the main thing he says, is he says, listen, the sea is more powerful than you. The ocean is more powerful than you. You're going to go into the ocean and think you can overpower it, that you can control it, that you can do whatever you want to do. And I'm just telling you that if you do that, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to breathe too fast. You're going to use up your oxygen. Uh, You know, you're going to forever be fighting. You're going to get exhausted. He said the key to scuba diving. How many of you have scuba dived before? Okay, so you should know this. I mean, I, I, I learned it after one lesson and never became good. I I totally violated this. But the key to it is to go with the flow. It's to realize the ocean is bigger and stronger, and your job is to fit in, is to, in a sense, humble yourself in the ocean. And sure enough, I dove in and tensed up and immediately started breathing fast and wanted to swim here and there. And here's something that's so ironic. When you breathe too fast, uh, there's another thing that happens that's kind of funny. Like, you can't go down because there's too much air in your body. So you're like a cork on the top. And I kept on putting my head down, and I was breathing too fast, and my bottom sticking out of the water. I looked like a turtle or something, and it, it was really sad. And so here's the point. Here's the point. When Jesus invites us to come to God the Father, he says, uh, if you come in with an attitude that you're going to overwhelm him and overpower him and be able to control him and that your righteousness is going to make a big deal, you're just going to, you know, you're going to get exhausted. It's not going to work. The key is to just come in and allow God to be God. And you come in with humility. You play by his rules and you do things his way. And you thank him for everything he's done. And that's what Jesus says is the key. And religion tells us the opposite. And that's why Jesus says, and I hate that. I hate religion. 
So here's what I want to ask you as we're sort of wrapping up here. Where do you fall into trouble when it comes to this issue of being external? Okay, now listen, there's, um, let me just say this. We all do. So if you're just, if your attitude is, I don't have this problem, um, well, you, this parable was written for you. You're the one that is the self-righteous one that scorns others, okay? So that's not a good answer. Don't even, you know, even if you think that, don't tell anyone else. They're going to be like, oh, I know who you are. Okay, so that's not the good person to be here. Um, and here's the thing. We, we do both of these things. You know what? Sometimes we're like the Pharisee, and we feel a little self-righteous, and we've got this part of our life together, and we sort of look down on the other people that don't. And then there's parts of our life that we hide in. And we know, oh my gosh, I'm so ashamed about this. This is the secret that nobody knows. Uh, maybe it's an action, maybe it's a thought. And we have that part and we hide from God and we think, oh my gosh, I could never bring that to God. And so my question is, where, where are you right now? Where are the parts where you tend to sort of bow up and think that your righteousness is enough? And where are the parts where you hide and you think, I've got to clean this up before I bring it to God? Because you see, both of those are really two sides of the same coin. It's being external. It's thinking externally, I've got to pull it together. Or I have pulled it together. And God says, no. It's internal. It's coming to God with all of who you are, the good and the bad. And saying, listen, you know, I, I'm just at your mercy. I'm just at your mercy. I'll do whatever you say. I'll do it your way. And Jesus says, that's the way to engage God. So what I want to do is I want to pause for a second and just give you a chance to reflect on that question. Where are you being like the Pharisee right now in your life? Where is your self-righteousness actually keeping you from God? And where are you being like the tax collector? Where's the area where you're ashamed and you're hiding and you're pushing God away? I don't want you to look at that. I'm so ashamed. And I want to give you a chance to just come clean, to do what the the tax collector did, to say, in desperation, I'm just going to come to you. All right, so bow your heads, if you would. And I'm just going to give you about 30 seconds, which uh, you can do this later in the day, a little bit longer, but about 30 seconds to just talk to God. Jesus, one of the reasons that I know that everybody uh, has this problem is because I have this problem. And I know there's places in my life where I use my goodness and the fact that other people think I've got it together to actually keep you away. And when I'm really honest, Jesus, I recognize that I don't think I need you in these areas that I do them really, really well on my own. And right now, I just want to confess that to you and ask you, please forgive me for that attitude of pride that actually keeps God at bay, keeps him away from me. And God, I just want to open myself up and ask you to come in 
and humble me in those areas. And I know that there's places where I hide. There are parts of my life that I'm ashamed of. There's things that I say or do. There's attitudes that I carry that I know are really shameful. I wouldn't want anyone else to hear about them or to know them. And I have this weird idea, God, that I can actually hide them from you, that you won't really look at that. And so I just want to take a second and confess those to you and thank you so much that you accept me, not just for the good stuff that I bring, but you accept me with the bad stuff that I bring. And you love me. And Jesus, that's why you died for me. I thank you for that. And so I pray for everyone else here, anyone that can relate to what I think. Help us to be a people that are honest with you, no pretense, that we come to you internally and ask you to clean us from the inside out and really make us a different kind of person. Help us to do that this week, Lord. In the things that we do, help us to think about that at work or at school or in the home or with a family or when we're working out. Help us to just think about the internal parts that really matter to you. And we will praise you and grow closer to you, which is a delight to us. And Lord, we know it's what you desire as well. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And let me just share this. Is, um, we're going to be getting together on, and uh, oh, you're out here. Magic. Bing! They're here. Good. I was hoping they'd be out. You guys are like, when we started to pray, they weren't here. And they levitated in. Um, it's a very cool thing. Um, you know, we're going to be together. And we're going to come together and we're going to uh, worship and do things. And I just want to really encourage you. When we come together on Sundays or whenever we do in the future, um, it is our chance to engage with God. And engaging with God always means it starts internally. So I'd really encourage you, when you come in, when you walk in, be prepared to anticipate that God wants to meet you in your heart. Not just externally, not just you know, singing the songs well or evaluating things, but he wants to come and be. And wouldn't it be so cool if our church was just known for a group of people that don't have it together but fall desperately on God's mercy every time we come in here, that our hearts change, that we open up with the attitude of, God, change me from the inside out. Because I think a church of people who feel like they don't have it together is much more appealing than a group of people that feel like they have it together. And I've been in both kinds of churches. I'd rather be with a group of people that say, I don't have it together. Thank God. Thank God. So we're going to worship right now. And if you'd stand, this is a great chance for us just to respond back to God. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariner's Church in Huntington Beach. For more information about Mariners, visit www.marinerschurch.org.